0: My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.
1: I am. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Post Credit Podcast. I am your host, Eric Italiano, senior writer at Robible.com. Today, as always, I am joined by my co host, Kate Onder, who you can find writing about video games over at comicbook.com. And today, frequent guest, former co host, longtime friend, Brandon Katz, now of Parrot Analytics. Brandon, I realize you've had four
2: jobs in one year. I, <laughs> I was thinking that too. I didn't want to say anything, but I was like, this man gets around. It in circumstance. Been, it, it, yeah. yeah, it's
3: been a bit bizarre. But you guys, I remember I did spend four and a half years at Observer. Yeah. And then while you know, I enjoyed my time at Morning Brew, they decided after hiring me to spearhead Their entertainment coverage, they decided they didn't want to do entertainment coverage anymore. So I was like, okay, obviously, I'm gonna leave. (laughs) Then I went to the rap, which was a really cool experience. And then, uh, you know, this was something I had been talking about with them for like two years. So when the opportunity arose, despite the fact that I wasn't with the rap for very long, I I had to jump at it
1: sure that, oh, that yeah. is life's motto man yeah so you know it's opportunity been knocks on, on the door yeah so make sure to follow brandon at great underscore Caspian and all the great work he'll be doing it parrot uh we got a bunch of stuff going on we have news of course we have rogue one we have an interview with a couple of the stars of rogue one kyle soller who plays that sort of like
3: Andor or Rogue One? Is this 2016? Because holy I would love
1: shit, to
2: where online. am I? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get to school.
1: Yeah, so I so I spoke to Darth Vader about his role in Rogue One.
2: Uh, no, Darth so Vader to-
3: appeared on Doctor Phil with Luke to work out their issues. <laughs> you know,
1: I uh, so Kyle's solar plays in Andor the sort of like uh, buttoned up. What were those guys called? I wrote it down somewhere.
3: Space cops.
1: Yeah sort of that super nerdy space cop. And the other woman that he was joined with, Denise Goff, I don't think she showed up in the show yet. So keep an eye out for that. Then of course, we're gonna be breaking down House and the Dragon. And finally, we will conclude the show with an interview with Nick Stoller, the director of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek, Neighbors, and his new film, Bros, which hits theaters on September 30th. But first Great we're kicking- resume. I know, I know, right? And it's like, Bros was, actually, I, I don't, know when they, actually no I've seen some reviews no I thought it was September 30th regardless there were some jokes in there that had me legit
2: lol so
3: I'm excited to see it I talked to Billy Eichner about it and like oh you did got, yeah it was he was guy was just so cool but he was like listen yeah of course like you know it's historic in the sense that it's the first ever studio film with an all lgbtq plus cast but really first and foremost we just wanted to make a funny movie a funny rom-com which yeah. you don't see anymore and i'm like That's hell really yeah bring release. back the rom-com
2: 94 yeah. of rotten tomatoes yeah really so
1: impressive. before we got before we dive into all that there is a bit of news this week first and foremost in the gaming world i would argue that uh this gta 6 leak over the weekend is perhaps one of the biggest entertainment news stories of the week, like more so than anything that's gone down in film or TV. Luckily for us, we have a video game writer on the show. Cade, Um,
2: do you want me to kind of set you up? Do you want to just let it rip or? I got it. Um, I'm sure most people already know what happened, but for those who don't, brief synopsis over the weekend, 90 videos of Grand Theft Auto 6, a game that has not officially been announced. They Rockstar said we're working on our Grand Theft Auto, but they haven't really said much else. Uh, 90 videos of the game leaked online, early development footage. It looks rough because it's not finished and the videos are also years old. So um, not meant to be seen ever by the public. A uh, huge deal because Rockstar has like Pentagon levels of security. And um, the while that's concerning and, and sparks all kinds of issues, the really big deal that had people really nervous was uh, the hacker claimed to have taken the game's source code, which is basically the game. That is the raw data that makes up the game. Uh, I know you had some questions. Is there anything you want to Well, because you had
1: said, like, because I just thought leak is just bad PR, right? It looks yeah, yeah. bad. Uh, it, it It screws up. The marketing but the way that you've tweeted about it is the the leak of the actual source code could affect the game in and of itself now i don't yes. know i don't know if they have to like start from scratch but that was sort of some of the indication that i got from you that this would
2: set them back years yes so in the hands of one person it's not a big deal because you don't know, but I mean, it's, it's still risky, but if they keep it contained, it's okay. So far rockstar has come out and released a statement saying, yes, the footage is real and we do not expect any long-term, you know, setbacks or anything. That is their current statement. They have an sec file and it says like, do, do you it buy is... it. It's I think right now they do believe that. And I think no. right now they, because if you say that and it blows up in your face, you're fucked like you have... oh, to be
1: fair to them though they they haven't officially announced it or dated it right
2: so right. them saying we aren't being set back there's no way of us proving that you're right but i mean it would come out one way or the other we would know like if it's not out in two years or three years even like people are right. like what's up <laughs> what's going on <laughs> yeah. um it's been a while since you released a game so. hey
1: that that source code thing yeah. remember it that was, like yeah. did that have anything yeah
2: um So, and and they filed an SEC filing that was, like, the same statement, and it was, like, these are our current thoughts. So, like, they're kind of protecting themselves if something were to change. And that could just mean, like, we don't know if there's another hack, we don't know whatever. But um, if the source code got out, and it's not out right now, but if it got out to the public at large, if someone sold it or whatever, that gives you the ability to destroy the game's security networks. That gives you the ability to steal the code and make your own GTA 6 it gives you Isn't access that to just modding though. Isn't that something that people already do to these games? Modding is one thing, but if you're going in and you're putting in hacks and basically making it so like their security network for when I'm playing with someone else, they can just like find my IP address. Right. Know? Okay. Like they can that's find a big out all of my personal data. And yeah. Stuff that's like a big that. problem. that's yeah. the big issue. So that it really just destroys everything. Cause you have, it's like having a puzzle in front of you, but having like the picture of the puzzle and telling you how to solve it right in front of you. Like, right. It it, it destroys everything. So yeah. Like if, if that came out, it would set them back months at the best and years at the worst, really just depending on what got out. So right now the FBI and the United States department of justice are investigating this. uh, And it's because the hacker responsible has also claimed responsibility for an Uber hack And has also been involved with Microsoft It's, you know, we don't know who this guy is. So like, it could be like, I did this, but not, you know, like it really. Well, so the next thing that
1: I was going to ask is what is the incentive for for doing this? Clearly the legal repercussions could be massive. I can't imagine you could sell the source code because it's stolen property. Is it just a total agent of chaos move? Like what, why would somebody do this? It's so, a serious question, Brandon. You, you, no, you I know, laugh, I but you. like, I don't understand why someone or someone I, just sits around and hates
2: Rockstar so much. They're like, I'm gonna get those bastards. Like, I know what?
3: it's a serious question. I just love the Joker framing of it. Yeah. yeah, I
2: mean, that is part of it. Like, no one really knows. It's been so fucking chaotic the last several days. My mind is just broken from everything that has happened because on top of that the the GTA forms is where this originated. This guy just went on just like, here it is. Here's the game. Everyone's like, wow. fuck you. No, it's not. <laughs> and then they and you can just see it's it's kind of gone now, but like you could see like the no, it's not. Fuck you. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. You're a liar. And then, oh, <laughs> it's yeah, real. Yeah, yeah. And um, but it started as just that. And then a few hours later, he came back on. He's like, I didn't expect this to go viral. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah.
1: Uh, and then You Grand Thefted Grand Theft (laughs) Auto. auto.
2: Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, come Uh, on, dude. (laughs) And he went on like Telegram, which is like a messaging service. And it was like, you can buy it from me for X amount of dollars and and all these different things. And now it's like his account might have been compromised. So it might not even been him. So now there may be even other hackers trying to scam people on the back of this. Like it is such a mess. And because it's so anonymous you have no idea if this guy's still around. Like he could have been gone.
1: And then the final question I want to ask is, would any studio other than Rockstar Games be equipped to deal with something
2: of this size? I think they are the best equipped. Okay, okay. Uh, I don't, I mean, everyone is very, you know, EA and stuff like that. They would be able to handle this. I mean, threats like this have happened against other studios in the past. Um, Very famously people have been bringing up Half Life Two, one of the most well-regarded games in like two thousand four, two thousand five, had its source code leaked, and it actually got out, and it required them to basically start over. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, it wasn't a multi-year-long setback like it this could possibly be, but it was still, you know, devastating. And I'm Kate,
3: I'm I'm not a gamer at all, mm-hmm. but from just covering media and talking to people who are knowledge, knowledgeable in this space to get a sense of What goes into these things, I have heard that a typical, you know, tentpole type of video game takes a minimum of three years to develop and a minimum of a, you know, nine figure hundred million plus budget. Is that true? Like, you know, that it's essentially comparable to a hundred
2: million dollar budget. Do you want to know what the Red Dead Redemption 2 budget is?
3: Oh, Yeah, man. for like a ten pole video game, I've I've heard you're, you're looking I, at nine
2: wow, figures. I never expected it to be that the, high. The the budget for Red Dead Redemption Two is estimated to be between three hundred seventy million and five hundred forty million dollars. But
1: is that including online servers yes. and marketing? I mean, okay, I, but.
2: Most other games do not cost anywhere near yeah. the, what a Rockstar game is. And, that's
3: essentially and, Avengers Endgame budget, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> and
2: and Red Dead <laughs> is their secondary title, right? Like that is not GTA. Right. Yeah, uh, Grand Theft Auto Five, to put it in perspective, has sold over 170 million copies, and is the second highest selling game of all time behind Minecraft. So, Grand Theft Auto Six is their money maker and it's they're not making anything else right now as far as well, we you understand you told me
1: in, in the past that they have
2: expectations to make a billion dollars off the sale of that game right the grand theft auto 5 made a billion dollars in 3 days so it's it's inconceivable like (laughs) just the numbers that are being thrown around so and that was before you could download a game on day one right you had to go to the store buy a disc bring your mom to show her id to the (laughs) gamestop, stuff but you can just fucking buy it no one's gonna ask you questions now so the sales numbers this game will throw up outweigh anything we've ever seen Grand Theft auto 5 is also the most profitable entertainment product of all time yeah. I mean that makes stop.
3: sense. The the global box office hit a record in 2019 at 42 billion. And yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, kid. I believe that same year the video game industry worldwide produced 200 250 billion in revenue. Yeah, so it's it, fucking it's, insane. Yeah, video games are four <laughs> to five times bigger than the film industry, even though we may not necessarily always
2: put well it because in that the
1: coverage is so disparate. The way that the, the way that film and TV is covered is so much broader and deeper than the way that games, I mean, I know that there are gaming writers, but I just feel like given its market share and how much more money it makes than film, you would think it would have a tighter grasp on mainstream culture, but gaming is still quite wrongly, still considered something of an outsider's hobby, which is completely wrong, but that's still the perception out there. We've been on this for a bit, so I just want to move on to the next gaming news real quick kate if you have anything to say about this please do a, yeah. a new one player third person iron man game is in the work at motive which i believe is a
2: subsidiary of ea yep is that good uh we'll see <laughs> um so this studio is responsible for the battlefront 2 story mode um which is okay and they're also working on the remake of dead space which comes out early next year which is a very 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 beloved horror game from ea um we don't know what this will look like ea is working on more than one marvel game so there are others in the pipeline uh-huh. and um we'll see where this goes but uh i think marvel has been giving developers freedom to do what they want so as long as they have the freedom i think it's it's a good sign and ea did publish star wars jedi fallen order so if they let them make the single player games they want to make then i think that's a good sign and uh, the the rest falls on the developer. Okay.
1: All right. And then finally, the last piece of gaming news that I just wanted to touch on real quick is it was announced today that Ted Lasso and AFC <laughs> yeah. Richmond will be featured in FIFA 23, which is the last FIFA of all time. I <laughs> think that that's very cool. And that's about that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next up on news, Constantine sequel. Boys, <laughs> l- listen, I Big feel like news. they straight up stole this from, <laughs> from me. I've been banging this drum for years. And last Monday, I believe, I tweeted Constantine stars, Keanu Reeves, both actors with a combined five Oscar Noms and two wins, Rachel Wise, Tilda Swinton, Jaimon Hansu, has Shia LaBeouf and Peter Stromer in supporting roles and was directed by Hunger Games and I am legend filmmaker. Francis Lawrence. Should it be brought up among the best CBM films of all time? Of course not, but it is wildly underrated and lost in time. Plus the original Vertigo version of Constantine aged in the comics, which is something quite unique for comic book characters. Getting Keanu to return would be an absolute coup. 2 days later news breaks <laughs> that Keanu Reeves starring Francis Lawrence directed Constantine sequel given that the creative team is from the first film coming back you assume it's going to be a direct sequel therefore i'm assuming they're going to take the hey this character has aged approach in a year and a particularly a summer that it has been an apt b is giddy down
3: i i i love you buddy the p and q is silent
2: and, oh oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh, cool. <laughs> like a Like a I'm car. <laughs> Chicken coop. Chicken coop. <laughs> I'm um, sorry.
1: Oh, so given that the creative team from the first film is back, you're assuming that this is going to be a direct sequel and for a year and a summer that for Warner Bros. and DC has been an absolute shitter. This to me is as big of a home run that they could do, right? Because A, they're so- sort of killing two birds with one stone here. They're freeing J.J. Abrams of his Constantine... Developmental hell job because that show had been in the work for two years at this point. That's been axed. They are fast tracking. It seems like at least a a character that I think is worthy of film and not of show to the big screen. And B, they are bringing back Keanu Reeves, who is not only more famous now than he was then, not only more well liked now than he was then, but the Constantine character and movie of them in and of themselves. Are more appreciated now than they were then. I can't believe it took them this long to have this idea and to go
2: forward on it, but I am thrilled that they are. The one thing I, I raise a concern over is Francis Lawrence has had three movies announced in the last month. Uh-huh. Uh The uh-huh. Bioshock movie, uh-huh. which is expected to be his next thing after the Hunger Games movie he's finishing up right now. A documentary and,
1: about something.
2: Uh, about Sublime. Is that it? Uh huh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and this. And this. One of those is not coming out. I feel like, well, or like a he's not going like to Feels
1: like very much could be
2: like a side project. Right, those things can go on for years. Right, they aren't yeah. really time to anything. Yeah. yeah, so you know, but it does seem like it would be Bioshock next, and then Constantine maybe right after that, if we're lucky. And you know, he the Hunger Games movie comes out next November, and then Bioshock is that his too? yeah he's doing the prequel movie thing oh shit uh so he's editing that right now he's in post and so that comes out next november bioshock probably films in 2024
3: i I wouldn't be totally surprised if he departs bioshock i mean i I hope that doesn't happen sure just because that movie has had a lot of behind the scenes kind of turnover over the years you know there's been a few people attached to that yes didn't ultimately move forward but i you know, mean we'll I,
1: I would be very bummed to lose him off of bioshock but if it's at the price of a constant Well, <laughs> now that now that said it's not like oh francis lawrence i must see him tackle sure. constantine but i think the first film was good i think because he made it good he deserves yeah, to have the fair cra- fair shot it to make Absolutely. the film which It's fascinating to see how they are going to take such an aggressively like Doctor Strange is weird, but he doesn't really deal with the demonic magic, which is significantly darker than sort of what Strange deals with a more sort of cosmic magic. So I'll be fascinated to see how, if at all, like, are they going to take the Joker, the Batman route and make Constantine sort of a siloed thing? Or are they going to try to work the character into
2: a larger...
3: I would bet it's its own siloed thing.
2: All right. I, would, I, I mean, you've got to hope so. Yeah. And, and it's also interesting. This is just where my brain goes. Whenever you make a sequel, I feel like you have to make a third movie. I think you just have to. Like, right? Like, I don't want to get greedy here, but you would think that's the expectation. Is Maybe it's not, like, set in stone, but it's, like, that's the end goal because who makes two movies? (laughs) And then just fucks off. Like, (laughs) Well, and this is the
1: kind of superhero that Keanu Reeves could play now that he's starting to push 60. Matt Ryan is not... I'm sorry. Matt Ryan is the actor who played him. John Constantine is not necessarily a physically demanding role. It's a lot of like... Hand posing type shit. <laughs> so like he can do that over the next five, ten years.
3: Look, okay. guys, I'm I'm as excited about this sequel announcement as anyone. It's a good movie that's aged well. You know, Eric, I I am very impressed that you've been banging this drum forever because it's definitely worthy i'm really pumped as a fan do i think this is going to be financially successful absolutely not, not. The, the original is a box office disappointment
1: but so if, Keanu reeves is is a box office star onto himself now
3: he's not really if if that was the case then the Matrix resurrections would would i don't care about the pandemic and days <laughs> no day, post john wick
1: have... john john wick is the defining role well, of his career
3: right but only john wick has has broken out if you look through his his you know box office rap sheet, for so you're telling me that you're years.
1: gonna bet against? I mean, not bet against, but I'm saying things like Berserker, which is his own story, his own comic that he wrote, that's been turned into a, a Netflix film, I think. I think so. Constantine, he sort of has a The Rock type vibe to me, where the where the where the box office floor of his films are very high.
2: I, I
3: disagree. I think the numbers also would would disagree with that. Outside the John Wick franchise has he
1: gotten a fair shot outside of john wick in the last five years though i think that this will be a good test
3: i think what we're what we're talking about is a legacy sequel to a very very niche box office disappointment and if he couldn't help turn the matrix legacy sequel into a bigger box office hit or at the very least not a huge box office failure which it was then I, I, and that's a much more beloved IP than Constantine. I think you're
1: missing a bit of uh, I, I I think you're looking at this too much of a business standpoint of a of a legacy sequel and discounting for the fact in the that came out 2005 so 17 years since that film came out Constantine has been further integrated as a Justice League star the character's profile in and of itself through animated films comics TV shows the, I the think Constan- he's-
3: the, he's raised his profile for sure. And I like him. I've become a fan of him through all of this expanded stuff. Matt Ryan's iteration was really cool. But I think it's raised its profile among already comic faithful fans, already nerdy people who are in our sphere. I think if you're talking to the ev- everyday average viewer, like, hey, who's Constantine? I mean, like, I have no fucking idea. I, I, I do not expect this to be a box office success, but I do expect it to be a, a really cool kind of critical experiment and a, and a much deserved sequel To a a good
1: movie. Look, bro, if they could turn a (laughs) profit on a Shazam film with the guy from (laughs) Chuck, I'm sure Constantine with Keanu Reeves. I I don't even know that guy's name. I'm literally blanking on it right now. Zachary Levi. Levi. Zachary Levi. Okay. Whatever. Um. (laughs) Good for him. Listen, if they could turn a profit on that movie, Constantine too is a sure bet. Real quick, I don't know.
3: it's going to be a you know, a hard R with demons and suicide, all that stuff. You know, yeah. I, I well, I don't no, know that's
1: one thing I think will change. I don't think it's going to be a, as aggressively nihilistic as the first one was. And I think first one is big time. <laughs> and I think when and B, I know that you're a big fan of the DCAU, where Constantine and that is more of like a smug, kind of quippy, or like almost MCU esque in his quippiness. He's, he's very smarmy, boozer,
2: smarmy is a great word. I think we'll see more of that sort of character. Constine made 230 million as an R rated movie in 2005 on a 70 to 100 million dollar budget, which isn't that bad. Like, that seems. But then again, like back then, like these kinds of movies were more common, I guess, right? So, like. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's the worst thing in the world, (laughs) but, but I
1: I think the bottom line is for a film franchise and studio that is struggling, right? (laughs) In in terms of safe bets, Keanu Reeves feels as safe as you could go. And they already had him locked into this character audience, previous knowledge. As I said, it's a AARP friendly (laughs) superhero. So, yeah, and and I guess my point being that Cade, yes, if two does well, I think we'll absolutely get three. All right, let's move on to our last piece of news here. Spend a bit less time on this than we have the previous two, please, boys. I really don't have much to say, except you kind of saw this coming. Rogue Squadron has been removed from Disney's schedule. Now, are we seeing Disney... Pull a Game of Thrones and seeing how bad Game of Thrones w- went down. And once they saw Wonder Woman 1984, they were like, fuck this shit. <laughs> Serious question. It, it, they it, trotted Patty Jenkins out onto yes. a fucking runway with a fighter jet to be like, hey, check out our movie with like and a, a CGX thing.
2: They did like they did some post-visual effects shit for yeah. a, a trailer announcements. Uh it's a very interesting thing i don't know if maybe they saw top gun maverick and were like we can't stack up against that for star wars and or
1: but why not see it and be like oh shit we're about
2: to make star wars top gun (laughs) i i don't know it's it's a very weird thing i i don't know if they're if it's because of that because like i don't think Woman 84 was that bad like it's not great i I don't think it's very good but i don't think it's good you're fired (laughs) (laughs) see you later boys um but it's i don't think that's enough to tank a fucking whole movie. Uh, But I, I, I I think it's probably more just like, we're going to take a break on star Wars movies. we got a good thing going off the TV side. We're going to keep going with that until we have something we really do believe in, as opposed to crank out those movies, you know?
3: Yeah. I mean, I don't think the reception to wonder woman 1984 was ideal. I don't think it's the sole motivating factor behind this move. I think they were very far, far apart creatively Uh, in terms of where the script was and what they wanted out of it. I think obviously Patty Jenkins schedule with Wonder Woman 3, Cleopatra, and uh, uh, some other things she was doing in TV played a role. So I think it was a confluence of factors. And again, Wonder Woman 1984 not being very good certainly didn't help inspire a lot of (laughs) like, hey, we got to get on this from Lucasfilm.
1: Yeah. 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 All right. Let's move through some quick Hitters before we take a quick break. All right, Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer will write the Fantastic Four film, as per Deadline quote. While new to the scene, the writing duo is one of the hotter screenwriters in town, having sold a number of specs in the last year. As per Matt Shackman and Kevin Feige will now focus on casting boys. I want to ask you, is this an underwhelming combo considering the size of the team and the importance to the Marvel brand? But conversely, is that kind of a good thing? It's
2: the fact that they believe this much in them, is is promising. Like I, they must have something, you know, like we haven't seen anything they've made, I'm sure, because it doesn't exist, but uh, <laughs> the, the idea that they believe so much in, in two up and comers is, is good. Um, I, How about I, Shackman though? That's, that's a WandaVision director who had, who had been tapped to direct Star Trek before this. So clearly, The powers that be think he has that juice. You guys are big Thrones guys. I know he directed a cool game. Game
1: He was a big TV director in general. He's done like always sunny. I mean, he, yeah. Yeah, So, so it's an interesting pick.
3: Yeah. I mean, I I don't, care. And I mean that in a good way. (laughs) Kevin Feige has an outline and works very closely with the writers to get it done. You guys got to remember, phase one was filled with a ton of screenwriters we didn't really know. I mean, I look at uh, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who before Captain America 1 and then going on to do the rest of the Captain America trilogy and Avengers did really underwhelming Narnia movies. L- so L- <laughs> L- Let me just
4: be be
1: clear. I'm not saying underwhelming in a vacuum in terms of the fact that we haven't heard of these two guys. I'm saying underwhelming in terms of the director as a TV guy The writers are two unknowns, and the property is fucking Marvel's first family. Doesn't that seem a bit incongruent? People were being like, "Oh, Steven Spielberg," you know, like an old Matt Shackman. So like, was
3: was never gonna.
1: No, I know, but like Brad Bird, shit like that. I've said Bill Hader. Like, there were names out there that people were like, "Yo, go get a fucking shark." And I I don't know. I'm
3: glad that Marvel has gone to a little bit more of a director-driven model. A little bit in Phase Four, you know, getting guys. Like, like Taiki, like Chloe Zhao, a lot of different interesting names. Taiki? what Tyke? did I say? If you guys Tyke are really cooking
2: each other on these words here tonight. <laughs> Psycho <laughs> it's easy.
3: But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, because it's such a well-oiled machine, because it's more of a producer-driven model than not, it's not something where you need to throw out the biggest directorial names in the world to get a good product. So I, not I'm really not underwhelmed by this. I, I, I think am...
1: No, I was going to say, and that's why part B was, is this a good thing? I don't necessarily inherently think being underwhelmed is a bad thing. I was just, you know, for a project like this, we've long expected, like, you know, if they come out and announce two of the four main castmates are are flat out no names, I think people be like, what the fuck is going on here? In Feige, we trust, of course, but that (laughs) motto doesn't have the same cachet as it did a year ago. So- Yeah, that's
3: fair, yeah. but Let let's see some footage, then I'll judge.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know. That's Honestly, all, if- that, that that is always your yeah. line, B. All right. Yeah. Moving on, Paul Greengrass of Born Identity Fame, or no, sorry, he did the second two Borns, I think. Yep. Uh will direct an a- adaptation of Stephen King's novel Fairy Tale. The film is an epic tale that follows a 17-year-old boy who inherits the keys to a terrifying world where good and evil are at war. Sounds fucking sick, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't really know how to say this guy's name. Reggae Jean Page. Yeah. Okay. And Glenn Powell to star in a to star as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid respectively in an untitled series at Prime Video. The Blade Runner 2049 limited sequel series Blade Runner 2099 is go at Prime Video. Ridley Scott set to executive produce Silka Luisa, the showrunner of Shining Girls.
2: B, I think you like that, right? Uh, I, don't, well, I don't
1: know Shining Girls. Oh, okay. I thought
2: that said Golden Girls for a second. I'm like, <laughs> whoa, taking some swings,
1: Amazon. She'll serve as the showrunner. <laughs> the, the show, Jeremy Allen White of the Bear, has been cast in 824 as the Iron Claw alongside Zach Efron and Harris Dickinson. They will be playing world-famous wrestling siblings, Devon Ericks. Uh, The Woman King, which I really want to see, opens to 19 million dollars and is the year's best reviewed film alongside Top Gun Maverick. That's good. Oh, yeah, you saw it?
3: Yeah, so Badass.
1: Yeah. And House of the Dragon has a reported viewership of 29 million people per episode. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we come back to Andor episodes one through three.
3: Cassian Andor, no matter what you tell me or tell yourself, you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards.
1: Wouldn't you rather give it all at once to something real? All right, and we are back. Andor episodes one through three dropped. They dropped all on Wednesday. I was confused when they sent out the screeners back in August why they gave us four of them. That was more than... <laughs> Disney and Star Wars has ever done. Now it makes total sense. We're going to go more broad strokes here since they dropped three of them. It's kind of hard to get granular, but conversely, because they dropped three and because this is set to be a two season long series, the three very much just felt like one long one. One of my favorite parts of this show so far has been the slow burn pace, especially when compared to the awkward pacing of the Disney Plus shows that have been six episodes where It's just total whiplash in terms of how fast or slow it moves. The slow burn feeling of this show gives it sort of a more of an espionage thriller vibe than it does like space romp action adventure vibe. So as Rogue One fans, of course, we love that. I'd say it has more in common with Tony Gilroy's Michael Clayton than it does with like Star Trek, which I think is an amazing thing to say about Star Wars in and of itself. You know, Gilroy had said, (laughs) it's so funny how like, Tony Gilroy seems to actively hate Star Wars. <laughs> he's like, I'm trying to yes. make a Star Wars show for people who don't give a flying fuck <laughs> about Star Wars. <laughs> Which, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that seems to be what he's been saying. So I think he's nailed that. So the, I, I'd say that that was my sort of takeaway so far, that the way that the first three very much felt like a prologue, right? We know that this series has a finite ending. We already know that they've got it mapped out. So these first three felt like a prologue, felt like it says, here is Cassian 1.0. By the time we meet him in Rogue One, he's like 10.0. But here's Cassian 1.0, and here is how this journey starts.
3: Yeah, man, I mean, call me a crab in a hot pot because I love me a slow burn, all right? (laughs) (laughs) I, I have really enjoyed it, echoing a lot of what you said. I feel as if the deliberate, purposeful pacing really allows character moments to breathe. And we get a much better sense of who Andor, uh, Cassian Andor is, where he came from, why he's doing these certain things that he's doing, and kind of how he ends up where we meet him. It, it is the optimal version of a prequel in which the lead up which can often feel dramaless tensionless because we know the ultimate ending is actually flipped on its head because they've managed to infuse it with fresh familiarity which sounds like an oxymoron but yet is clearly on display as they kind of build out this espionage world that's really about a bunch of pissed off migrants who have a very serious and and understandable grudge against this kind of totalitarian regime so I, i've really really enjoyed it the only thing i'll say though is it kind of undercuts that one line in uh in rogue one where he tells Jin, i've been fighting this war since i was six years old no you haven't you've been fighting this war for like five years six years you know something <laughs> like that but that, that's nitpicking
2: overall just i think this is like i don't want to uh make this hyperbolic but this feels like star wars is like the dark knight in the sense that uh not not necessarily like it's the best thing ever made but no like, but it's the
1: same way that when the dark knight came out they said
2: oh it's heat but with it's exactly what i batman mean batman and yes. joker
1: it's the same it's the same comparison
2: yes. it's tonality and, and all these things like it it hits a, a certain stride that i would not expect from star wars i mean uh minor spoiler, Cassian Andor shoots a guy point blank in the fucking face in like which is how 10 he's minutes. introduced in Rogue One, right? Yeah. Killing someone in cold blood. It just it seems nice, so much more yeah. like raw here. Like the guy's pleading. Like, don't let's let's take let's take care of it. we can handle this. He's just like, nope, bang. And it's like, wow. Uh, you know, Cassian's for, not
3: a hero, he's a, a real life right. so, person in a very ter- terrible situation.
2: I don't think this show like would ever appeal to a kid, which is interesting, not because of the maturity of it all, but you, like you said, it's a slow burn, right? It, and it's heavier. It's doesn't have lightsabers all over the place. Wouldn't be surprised if there's no lightsabers at all in this show. Um, Just because Tony Gilroy <laughs> doesn't like Star well, Wars. I guess, no, they
1: <laughs> didn't, we, we didn't see a single gun, single gun fired until episode three.
2: Exactly. Except for that opening one, right? And and the opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm saying in like a battle context and not in like
1: cold blooded murder and like a yeah, dark corner context.
2: So so it's just like I would never expect Disney to take this kind of a swing with Star Wars, especially because like I said, I don't see many children watching this. Like I just they'd get bored. Well, and then (laughs) you you be I think there's just a reason,
3: as Tony Gilroy said in the interview, they reached out to him with their plan, their original plan for the Andor, a uh, Rogue One prequel series, just to get his thoughts. He wasn't officially involved, and he was like, "This is terrible. Here's what <laughs> you should do." And then he was like, "You know what? Screw it. I don't trust anyone else to do it right. I'll just do it." Like that is very much on the screen, that vibe. Yes. And it, to me, so far, it's the best Star Wars show you know that we've got easily. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wow. Uh, Cause I, all right. Okay. That kind of, that claim just kind of took me back a bit. Um, B you are the perfect one to ask for this right now. Cause I think it's needed context that the show hasn't really provided yet other than the point in the time in that we are. So this is post prequels, pre OG films, right? Yeah. At what level of power is the empire at right now?
3: they're extremely powerful. They're still expanding a little bit, but they are on the ascension, not the descension. You know, this is, uh, I think this takes place up to five years before Rogue One, which obviously took place, you know, essentially moments before, uh, uh you know, the original trilogy starts. So yeah, we know Luke is like around 15-ish right now in, in yep. this kind of timeline. And this is when Again, the empire, as we see with these space cops, they are basically co-opting them throughout the the. Well, that the was Trump.
1: my next point. Are they like the Gestapo? Like, what what are we looking at here? Who who is this division of cops, and why have we never heard of seeing them? I before? think
3: those are more a local force that probably even preempted the empire, and that are just... what
1: being like subcontracted to fucking yeah. rule. Okay.
3: I, I yeah, exa- Essentially, and you know, we're gonna see this empire continue to push out and claim control rather than you know outsourcing it to a degree so again the empire is on the ascension the emperor is in full control of his powers and manipulating the board completely so it's a a scary time to be a civilian or anyone who opposes this regime
1: and and just to sort of tie your two points Cade, you're saying how it's hard to see kids dive into the show B, you saying how Cassian is not an uh hero. And that is such a stark contrast from the almost fanatic heroism of Mando and of like the Jedi way, right? Like they're almost archetypal heroes to a fault, whereas Andor is a far more gray character and then therefore just for I mean, he's any- a
3: deadbeat who owes everybody money i love that the show right right like, right
1: and he's like he's just a, like a boy me. as well like yeah. he's like you know what i mean he's like flirting with this girl despite the fact that she's clearly dating someone
2: <laughs> and and we have the probably the first implied sex scene in star wars like we see the before and after but not and yeah very. like we see a chick Chick's putting thighs and like putting on yeah. her
1: pants and i was like this is as sexual as star wars has ever been adria adjorna let me just say welcome addition to the star wars <laughs> world but uh no seriously so i do enjoy it even and as i point out the parallel when we meet him in andor and rogue one is both him killing someone in cold blood i do that is the part of rogue one that has always resonated with me most is that like winning a war is not Necessarily a morality contest. It is in ideals, but in terms of like getting the job done, sometimes you need some scumbags. Right. Like I go back to a, one of the most iconic lines from True Detective season one Russ Cole said. says the world needs bad men to keep the other bad men from the door. And I feel like Cassian may not be a bad man, but that is sort of the archetype that they're putting forth here
3: and i think it's so interesting because like you said winning a war is winning a, an ideological battle and in rogue one yeah he he's fully committed to the ideology of freedom of, of getting out from under the grasp of this totalitarian regime here he's kind of just a guy who doesn't like the empire but is you know doesn't really give that much of a shit he's really driven completely by self-interest and i thought the collision of self-interest and Uh, a a complimentary person such as Stellan Skarsgård's character's idea of the greater good, how those two blend and meet and fight against one another and probably eventually coincide pretty neatly. Very interesting start.
1: Yeah, so like when he gives up his life in Rogue One, this is his cause, right? He's committed his life to the cause of bringing down the empire. When we see him now, he's just kind of stealing from them because he thinks they suck and it's fun. You know what I mean? So we're going to see, and and sort of at the end of three, when Stellan Skarsgård, who I will cast that guy in everything. I didn't know he was in this. I was like,
2: I didn't know he was in this. I was like, let's go. Yeah, dude, just don't have to throw
1: throw 100-mile-per-hour fastballs every single time. He says, like, do you want to fight these fuckers for real? And that is the journey that we're going to go on.
3: And I think that's also really important because you can look at this also from a negative light. This show regardless of of the ends justify the means and how bad the empire is this show is about a man being radicalized which in today's kind of vernacular is usually a negative connotation so i think that's really interesting in and of itself
2: yeah i i think there's probably something to be said about like Andor is probably like a more realistic less cartoonish version of han solo right like he oh wow well said he's kind of like the the guy that would you know he, like you said he he's doesn't like the empire but he isn't given enough of a shit to really do anything about it and that's kind of like han solo's whole whole thing when we meet him for the first time and he's just kind of a little bit of a scumbag and i think that's, that's a great comparison that's whole thing yeah uh, and
1: then sort of really the only sort of plot threads that I tied down was Cassian who is being hunted by Primor for killing two of their employees is trying to sell an untraceable NS9 star path unit and with this device you can track every imperial coordinate within nine radial parsecs. Other than that I don't really think we've gotten any sort of semblance plotting-wise, where the show is going from here. Mm-hmm. There's right? two seasons
2: of this planned, right? Yeah. uh-huh.
1: Okay. And they so, yeah. say that it's supposed to... So, yeah, B is right. It spans over five years. And then it's also been designed to end basically the same one that Rogue One did, where it's leading direct... So, whereas Rogue One ending directly led into A New Hope, the Andor ending is going to directly lead into Rogue One. Nice.
2: Interesting. All right, so that's it for me, boys. Yeah, I, I think we've pretty much covered it. Like you said, it's not plot heavy. It doesn't have cameos or anything, really. Uh, mm-hmm. One thing I really love is... Sorry, Grace Randolph. <laughs> the the aesthetic of this show is really cool, too. Like, when they're in the kind of, like, control room of, like, whatever. That's supposed to be the police station. I'll, I'll just call it that. Uh, it looks like the 70s technology of, like, the Star Wars era, right? And as opposed to the more flashier, shiny stuff that they have in, in current Star Wars movies. It looks more analog, which I think is just such a cool touch Yep, because that makes sense for the, the movies showed that back then, and they're not retroactively erasing that because they have the ability to make better technology. Now Yeah, it's just cool. Very
3: anachronistic in that way. And I think that underscores like the haves and the have nots within the empire and where this divide is kind of brewing and bubbling.
1: All right, so we're going to do things a bit differently this week. We're going to jump to my interviews with Kyle Solar and Denise Goff of Andor. And on the other side of that, we will be breaking down House of the Dragon episode five. hey oh, what's I up really y'all
0: like the Andor in the
1: background yeah man that's pretty good there I'll it is my best <laughs> yeah it should uh, really folks, be a picture of us but we're okay with the problem is the problem is so the windows are right here so the so it's got to be something dark or else you can't really see it okay I got we'll you. have
0: some pictures of we're gonna us get ourselves
4: mocked up with the pulp fiction yeah you know, that will we're be gonna do that deadran cyril yeah 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 exactly yeah. um
1: okay. folks right. today i am joined by Kyle Soller and Denise Goff, who are two of the stars of the new series Andor, which will be hitting Disney Plus. Forgive me, they changed the date. When is it now? September 21st. September 21st. Uh, I want to start off by saying Rogue One is actually my favorite Star Wars anything ever of all time. So, And I've had this take before it was cool. Trust me. Um, (laughs) What would you say these two projects have in common most other than the lead
4: of course well i I think both of these projects take star wars into a new territory completely it's kind of more human more human really gritty really messy and complicated and rooted in um a kind of social political structure that we actually find quite familiar in our present day and yeah i I think it's it's just it's it's amazing to me what tony has done with this new series which is taking the promise of rogue one and going back and being able to investigate cassian and why he became the person that he became Mm. in rogue one figuring out like what is this 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 kind of complicated hero Mm. is he a hero actually did he become a hero during andor and actually figure out what he's meant to do in Rogue mm. One and all of these new stories and characters, characters. and planets yeah. that are intersecting and interweaving in a really beautiful way over 12 episodes is like
0: it's so it's, smart it's i mean i'm not a, a, the only film i had watched and only after i got the part was um was rogue one so so for me uh, my kind of doorway into star wars has been through that really human rebel element you know and so now to get to do a long form episodic kind of deep dive into all of that so that then when i re-watch rogue one after 24 episodes of this like to to watch him sacrifice himself having gotten to know him for Mm, so long mm. and the world that he's in and what he has exactly what he has sacrificed is huge i think it's a really special offering to the already like immense universe of which i know very little but i intend to study it
1: you'll learn it takes time i i didn't really get into star wars as i said because i was born in 93 so it was kind of the oh shush (laughs) the point being is that it was the in-between time of the og films and the prequel films and the prequel films weren't necessarily kid-friendly so i didn't connect with Star Wars like oh man I get it now until Rogue One and by that time I was in my 20s so one of the things that you guys touched on and what one of my lines about Rogue One is you really feel the wars in Star Wars like it makes you understand that this is a struggle like this sucks like this is not fun how are you guys able to ground yourself and what is a very deep humanistic problem war but on in the backdrop of what is a generally outlandish uh, framework of being in space. How do you balance those two things?
0: Well, the great thing is that Tony has written something that just happens to be Star Wars. You know what I mean? But when I read it, so I read the first three episodes uh, before talking further about doing the role, and I was so drawn into these very human contemporary and ancient sort of stories and i thought oh and it's star wars mm. so the yeah. fact that it was in this kind of space operatic universe was a, was a kind of added bonus that happened when i when i got into the costume and went onto set and realized i had two death troopers behind me and then i was like oh shit this is star wars as well <laughs> yeah. as being like this thriller human experience story it's also start so he grounded it I think Tony has grounded it for us I didn't have to do any of that work it was it was actually when I got onto set and going oh you've got to do this really grounded thing but like I'm surrounded by aliens okay all right and stormtroopers you know
4: and I think this is like what Andor and Rogue One could possibly do is just be a gateway into Star Wars for people yeah. that aren't already fans. Yeah. Because it is so rooted and grounded in a humanity that we all recognize. Yeah.
0: Like my mm-hmm. sister watched the trailer and she texted me and she was like, I have never watched a Star Wars, but I want to watch this. Yeah. And I thought, wow, like that's. I think for people who aren't into science fiction even, I think they can watch this and get really connected to it. Mm.
1: You know, Especially yeah. in these times. Guys, I want to thank you both for your time. I hope you survived through season one so I could talk to you both. And for... this junket, <laughs> hope we
0: survived through this <laughs> So I could talk to you
1: guys <laughs> for season two. All the best going forward. Thank you so On. much. Thank, thank you so much, so dude. Much. and we are back house of the dragon episode five we light the way this will be the final episode with the young actresses portraying rhaenyra and alicent
2: Cade, you're caught up now right no i'm not it's uh, such a, i'm so sorry it's been such a shit week in the gaming industry you're right like that's true four, four gaming events last week and then there was okay, like a so how how far back are you i think i'm on episode Is this five? Yeah. This is fine. I think I'm on episode three. Okay. all
3: right. See, so I, I get out. that it's busy, but you're missing out on one of the best shows I'm on
2: so TV sorry. right I'm so sorry. I had to binge watch three hours of Andor today, and there's so much happening. <laughs> you're right. I'm you're so right. You got,
1: you got Andor and That's fair enough. The problem is, though, the longer you wait, the bigger the binge
2: watch I know. becomes. There's nothing going on this weekend, so I'll have all the time in the world, unless the it, Xbox explodes or something.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, B, so I guess for this week, it's just you and I. Do you have any broad thoughts?
3: A damn good show and never go to a wedding in Westeros.
1: Do you find it? Do do you find its momentum to be positive?
3: Yeah. I I think this is building each week. I think the plot is thickening. I think uh, they've earned the right to take the risk and have a huge time jump that's going to swap out two of the most kind of popular actresses slash characters for older versions of themselves that threatens the momentum but I I think it's going to be one episode and by the end of it we're going to be like okay we're on board that was awesome
1: yeah I you know I could see people complaining because just because like fans are weird I could be like oh they're not as good as blah 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 but that's just because people don't like change I'm right. sure it's going to be just fine. All right. So let's do a quick beat by beat. Then the episode opens with Damon, that fuckboy, boy, uh, heading up to the veil vale to straight murder his wife, uh, paving the way for him to marry Rhaenyra uh, during the scene. His wife, Lady Rhea, if I'm not mistaken, pokes fun at him for being impotent, either unable to get hard, unable to finish. B, I mean, look, is is this direct from the book? Let's start there.
3: I mean, I, I can't remember, you know, that that element. I, I the showrunners have said it's not a hundred percent clear what his intent was when he's, you know, shows up in that valley. It's not. When you're wearing a
1: different. hood and you're standing <laughs> with, with that sort of stance, you are up to no good. I, I agree,
3: know. and I, I just not that I, I liked it, but I think it was a good touch. Is he's he is walking away? He doesn't he doesn't care. He's he, he knows she's gonna die, but she keeps talking shit to him, so he decides to finish it off and just brutal fashion. And it goes to show you an underscore. I think something we talked about last week none of these characters are worth rooting for. None of them are good. None of them seem to be uh, quality rulers or have ruler potential. And none of them are moral. They're all terrible. And I like that the show is embracing that and not making it like, here are your heroes and here are your villains.
1: Yeah. And so we're all pretty clear that he's doing this to pave the way because when he's sort of brought up the idea of him trying to marry Raynera, virtually the first thing everyone has said to him is, but you're all already married, which in like, in a world of like, blatant whoring and murder it's so funny to me that like oh you're married you better not get married again you know, like that's so absurd to me but that is what he's doing here right
3: yeah that's my main take on it and like to your point I, I really love that this man can fly in on a fire breathing dragon <laughs> but when he asks to take a second wife they're like that's unrealistic <laughs> yeah. get out of here with that
1: exactly nonsense. exactly you prick how dare you <laughs> it's like, all right, then I guess I'll just go throw her off a horse. By right, after. yeah. So
3: the, these are political machinations, first and foremost.
1: All right, so then we're swung back to Rainy King's Landing, which I don't feel like you see too often. Otto is being banished and warns Alicent of the backstabbing and war that will break out if Rhaenyra succeeds. Viserys, he also worries that Rhaenyra will have to kill Aegon to secure her claim. He says, quote, either you... Pre- now, B, is this Aegon the Mad King?
3: No, the the okay. Mad King comes like a okay. hundred, you know, a hundred okay. and, and okay. seventy years later, okay. and his name is Aerys.
1: Uh, okay, okay, gotcha. Uh, e- quote: Either you prepare Aegon to rule, or you cleave to Rhaenyra and pray for mercy. All I have to say is, my guy Otto. I knew Continu- you were gonna.
3: I knew you were gonna continuing
1: watch. to make sense. I mean, what more what do you? They embrace. She seems genuinely upset that he's leaving. So whatever uncomfortable decisions he's made as her father, which, as I pointed out last week, is marrying her to the most powerful person in the realm, therefore giving her probably the most blessed and protected life that she could have. She doesn't seem to hold any ill will towards him. She does, just like the king was like, hey, you thought you were being slick, but everybody knew that you were trying to get your grandson in power. But I just think once again, it's evidence of that while his initial intro of offering his daughter to marriage was a bit bumpy. I think everything since has proved that Otto, especially what we just said about Damon, is one of, and in terms of of the top tier, like important characters, is one of the most, if not likable, reasonable and understandable ones. And that continues to be my take.
3: I think in terms of his importance, this was a mistake by Viserys. Viserys. And obviously, yeah. And I could uh,
1: point out why later.
3: <laughs> okay, good. I like that. Uh, obviously, Rhaenyra came in and basically gave, matched his ultimatum of marrying Laenor of Valerion with, okay, I'll do that, but you got to get rid of Otto. Okay, I understand it, Rhaenyra. I do. But if I was Viserys, I would have been like, I understand Rhaenyra, But here's what you do. You don't let a viper out of the nest where he's no longer in your eyesight. Let's keep him around so we can figure out a situation to essentially accomplish his his exit in a manageable way. But what has he done
1: that makes him a quote-unquote viper? Is he really a snake in the grass?
3: Well, I mean, there are those those rumors and theories that he may have killed the uh, uh, the hand before him. Who the hand before him died from a burst belly, which many have interpreted as, as isn't
1: a burst that attack. like pledging in the hand world? Isn't that just like a rite <laughs> of passage? You've got to sneakily murder somebody to gain power. I you thought know, that's like a, the code. He's got
3: a spy network. He, he's definitely up to intelligent but no good things. And, when, when he's now back in Old Town, his base, and liberated from the Red Keep, liberated from protecting Viserys and, and doing things for the kingdom to a certain extent, he's, he's more, dangerous. more dangerous. Yep. Yeah, so I, I think this could turn out to be a, a yet another faux pas by Viserys. I keep saying Viserys. So I
1: will say while Otto was my favorite character, he is no longer in the top spot, and we will get to that later. All right, moving on to the next plot beat. One of the hand of the king's son, so not the badass one, the one who has like a cane, tells Allison The new hand. That's the, yeah, right. Sorry, the, yeah, the, the new hand, which is strong. How strong, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, so the so the hand of the king's son tells Alicent about Rhaenyra's abortion tea, and this sort of sets in motion Allison truly realize truly letting the hate for not hate hate's a strong word but for the first time realizing that
3: hate flow through you
1: right exactly (laughs) like realizing that Rhaenyra is scheming on her and that she let her scheme on her and that she got duped conversely the Targaryens are discussing the death of Daemon's wife Lady Rhea and none of them seem to be aware or suggest that Daemon could have killed her And this is why Otto should still be around, because if you'll recall, in week one or two, he said, Damon has no limits. We cannot trust this fucking guy. And I can guarantee you, if Otto was in the room at that time, he might have noticed, hey, remember how we all think Damon's a fucking psychopath? Like, I'm willing (laughs) to bet that he has something to do with this mysterious, fantastic horse rider dying on her horse. (laughs) So So we're already seeing the impact of his knowledge not being there.
3: So what I like is Otto presents Allison with a choice, you know, essentially nut up or shut up, but far more eloquent and articulate. That's the choice. Then this episode does a really good job of throwing situational conflict at her that is either going to make or break her. So this is catalyst number one for her ultimate decision. We'll get to catalyst number two in a little bit. I like how they just laid it out like a very logical progression for Allison in this episode.
1: Moving on to the next lot beat Sir Kristen pitches Rainera and getting on um, getting married and running away in love a very foolhardy endeavor she says no Kristen has a full blown meltdown because he broke his chastity oath and then goes to make things worse by snitching to Allison, And the only thing that I could think of is the Chappelle show sketch when keeping it real goes wrong. (laughs) Basically, this guy just like compounded bad choice on top of bad choice on top of bad choice. If there was a least valuable player award, he would have easily won it this week.
3: Big time and and terrible showing
1: his revelation.
3: Yeah, exactly. His revelation to Allison is catalyst number two for her ultimate decision on what she's going to do. So I really like that. And uh, I, I think it's less about love and more about his his desecrated his honor, yeah, his desecrated oath, the fact that he had nothing except the white cloak to his name, and he feels truly broken by breaking that vow. I think it's more about that. But uh, again, Rainier, as I said in our conversation last week, absolutely mishandles the situation from start to finish, has not shown a single iota of leadership potential. Why should we root for her? Why would she be a good ruler? We don't have any evidence. And again, this show is leaning into none of these people are good. And I and I like that as a change of pace.
1: So this is sort of the principle that I had towards voting pre-Trump. I used to be of the thought they're out to fuck us, right? You know, politicians, they have all their own, their own little schemes and their own plans. So I just... Might as well vote for the one that I think has the best quality of character. That is sort of the voting stance that I have. That is how I feel about Otto. These motherfuckers are, you know, knives are out. People are fucking each other and and, and, and tattling on each other and poisoning each other and killing each other and gossiping. Everybody's doing that, right? So I'm not gonna deduct points from somebody for doing that. And then through that light, it's like if I had to choose one of these people to rule and I'm doing this as something of a bit, of course, but I also think it highlights just how generally unlikable the characters are that I'm like, I'm latching on to Otto because I got nothing here. So I agree with you. She handles that situation terribly and like she should know. And I guess it's a product of her being young But to not have the foresight to see the chain of events that could unfold from that point, like to uh, eventually stab in the heart, the one person protecting your secret. Very
3: carelessly. Like she can handle that rejection in a much better way. That is more strategic. That is more compassionate. She basically laughs
1: at him. Yeah, exactly.
3: Exactly.
1: yeah all right so now we are at the wedding which i love how they played with game of thrones fans expectations of weddings right so there's a scene where a drum beat starts and Raynera does a flinch and the audience expecting a red wedding type thing you're pre-programmed to be like oh shit it's going down you know they didn't quite go that route to the fullest there was sorry what's that noise a ringer It, it was an alarm Oh, I was going to say, you've you got to change your ringer, dude. That's, like,
4: aggressive. <laughs> um,
1: um, so they didn't quite go Red Wedding, but it was not a enjoyable wedding. Main plot points here are Damon shows up looking like a total fuckboy. Allison makes a scene and stands up the king and shows up in, I believe, her mom's green dress. I believe right? so. The strong brothers comment to each other: Uh, do you know what color the beacon on High Tower glows when Old Town calls its banners to war? Green. So they're taking the Alicent statement, sort of standing up the king, showing up fashionably late, calling Rain stepdaughter, showing up in this green dress. I think now we're seeing probably. Two of the three sides of what this conflict is going to be. I think when the show time jumps, it's going to be a conflict between the Hightower loyalists, the Raynera loyalists and whatever psychos Damon can round up. And I think that finally this episode confirmed the sort of friendship split between Alicent and Raynera, which five years from now is going to, which we'll see this weekend is going to lead to, a throne conflict and or war.
3: Yeah, a couple points here. Like I said, I, I just love that Otto presents uh, Allison with a choice. Two plot points act as the catalyst for her deciding. And this is her ultimate coming out moment for better or worse. She's ready to be not a queen, the queen. And I really, really think that sets in motion a lot of cool plot points uh, going forward. Uh, elsewhere, I really like how the show... Has shown that the more Viserys compromises his own vision, and that includes forcing Rhaenyra into a political match after earlier in the show saying "marry who you want," uh, giving in to Corlys Velaryon, and essentially you know conceding and and shaming himself in the process a bit. And number three, welcoming Daemon back to court after he's been banished twice. The more he he co- compromises his vision, the more he physically deteriorates, and obviously the throne has thoroughly rejected him. And uh, and then number number three is it's going to be a ten year time jump, so it's going to be oh, wow. pretty significant. Yeah. So in in the trailer that we saw for next week's episode after last week's, you do see a you know young brat Aegon, Allison's kid, Allison's son. You know, be old enough to uh to talk and so hold a to hold the
1: sword and shit. Yeah,
3: exactly. So that is going to be a a complicating factor for sure. Oh, I
1: didn't realize it was that big. Okay, yeah, interesting. Wow. And but then we're assuming that that'll be the last.
3: I think that's major. gonna be the last major one for for this season. I think you could still see a one year, two year, three year, but I don't think you know we're not changing actors again from for to my knowledge.
1: Okay, and then <laughs> final plot point here: Raynera is now married to a Valer- Valerian whose lover's head is caved in by Sir Kristen because he got too comfortable. Raynera basically tells Damon to nut up or shut up before chaos breaks out. So Sir Harwin, aka motherfucking Breakbones saves her. Alicent meets up with Sir Kristen to presumably do some scheming while Rhaenyra gets officially married. Did I get that right?
3: Yeah, nailed it.
1: I know my big takeaway from this scene and that that's fucking hilarious. I think it's the first time I've ever seen anyone in Thrones outside of the Hound throw punches, which was <laughs> like just, it's just so jarring to be like in this world of like dragons and swords and daggers, like this guy just throwing crosses. And so My favorite part of this, like I said, I love the way that they played with Game of Thrones fans' expectations of weddings. And I also love the way that Breakbones was used here. Um, The Sir Kristen turn felt strange to me. Um, I don't think they really showed any signs of him having like unhinged anger management problems. I get that that really doesn't need to be a prerequisite for murder in Game of Thrones times. But that said, I did find it to be a bit sort of jarring how quickly he just unravels.
3: Uh, you know what, I'm pretty much okay with that. When he's hooking up with Rainier, he continues to stare at the white cloak. Then the camera zooms in on the white cloak. The next morning when he sees her, he's absolutely, you know, ashen. He's silent. He doesn't want to talk to her. We we know that, uh, you know, he, he talks to Rainier about how, how he feels, how he broken he is. And then uh, Joffrey Loudmouth or whatever the guy's name is, uh, Cor- uh, Corliss's son's lover, has that kind of, pseudo threat slash knowledge of hey you know i know you broke your vow and you're kind of a dishonorable i I think those four elements were enough for me to be like yeah i'm in sure whatever and uh but one thing i love about breakbones too is a couple episodes earlier remember when that lannister and breakbones were both kind of courting her a little bit uh and she comes back from murdering that boar savagely and she's covered in blood and she walks into camp and you see a shot Of the Lannister seeing her, and he's disgusted. And then it cuts to Breakbones. Breakbones is so turned on; he's just smiling at her, like, "Yes, this woman is awesome." So I I just think that's a cool little bit. And you got to remember now, Sir Sir Harwin um, uh, Strong is the hand of the king, and as we've seen, has given very honest and very good advice to the king. We see Sir Breakbones being an absolute badass, very physically capable. And we see his brother being very conniving, manipulative, and someone who listens and hears everything. Do not sleep on how strong.
1: Knew that was coming. (laughs) Bang. Like a politician hitting those talking points. (laughs) All right, B, any big picture thoughts as we head into the major time jump?
3: I mean, that's a good question. I think. And I tweeted something like like this uh, uh, earlier this week. And you know, in Game of Thrones, we saw that like the relentless pursuit of the throne, whether it was for pure power, hungriness, birthright, duty, whatever, it tended to leave, leave, leave uh, end in, in death and disaster. And now in House of the Dragon, those who are kind of meant to sit the throne by all rules and laws, they may not be suited. And even the best of intentions is leading to destruction. And again, it's a very full circle. Moment, And I just think overall, knowing where the story is headed, thanks to the themes and lessons of Gott really has helped color House of the Dragon with this knowing texture for all of the political machinations, but still leaves room for like the greater fantasy, mythology and lore to connect and leaves room for surprises. So I I think the degree of difficulty this show was facing was immense, particularly after the very disappointing end to Thrones. And I think the success it has managed to pull off is really, really impressive. Just, man, HBO.
1: Eloquently put summary as always. All right. To close out our House of Thrones discussion, we are introducing a new category, a song of rising and falling power rankings. Who are the top three characters you are rooting for right now? B, who is your number three? Rooting for. So like
3: personal opinion.
1: Uh Uh-huh. Not who you think is going to, like, win the Game of Thrones? Like, who are you rooting for? I'm rooting for my man, Viserys. This dude needs help.
3: This dude is falling apart. Every time we see him, another body part is either infected or amputated. So, like, you know.
1: All right, my third is the kid who murdered that older dude for talking shit during Rhaenyra's speed dating.
3: Uh, you know what's even better about that? Their House Bracken and House Blackwood. They have beef. Those two houses dating back thousands of years. So like it's extra insult to injury that the kid won because it's like, yo, my house is better than yours.
1: All right, B, who's your number two?
3: Number two or even number one, I don't know, Allison. Because right now she's an innocent. She's uh, she's done her duty. She's been put in terrible situations. She tried to be a good friend. She tried to be a good wife. Uh, you know, right now she's probably the most moral character out of everybody.
1: Okay, fair enough. My number two is falling down from the top spot the first time, Otto Hightower. He's still my boy. I He hasn't done anything enough yet to turn me off. I am imagining at some point he will, but right now I am planting my flag in the ground that I am a house Hightower stan. B, who is your number one character that you are rooting for?
3: I think, and this is a little bit of a cop-out, but I think if we're really talking about in-world thrones, I'm rooting for the common people because anytime <laughs> anytime there's a power struggle <laughs> who loses the most it's always the common people there's going to be so much collateral damage so much innocent death oh it's going to suck for them
1: That's a pros pro right there my number one and I have officially changed his name his name is now motherfucking <laughs> breakbones because I just feel like those combination of words are hilarious Listen always trust
3: I, someone with a dope street name always
1: because I watch these shows twice, once on Sunday night and once to prepare for the pod. I don't necessarily pay as much attention as I should the first time. So I hadn't really noticed Breakbones until this week. And the first time I became aware of his existence was his father just giving him a subtle nod. And he was like, no problem, boss. And just yeah. fucking ripping through drunk people with lefts and rights. So it's going to take a lot for this guy to lose the top spot. All right. As I mentioned, this week is the final episode with the younger actresses. Next week, uh, Rainera will be taken over by Emma DeArcy and Alison will be taken over by Olivia Cook. All right. Now stick around for my interview with Nicholas Stoller, director of Forgetting Sarah Marshall, and get him to the Greek. Folks, today I am joined by Nick Stoller, director of films such as Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Get Him to the Greek Neighbors, and his new film Bros, which hits theaters on September 30th. Thank you for joining me today, Nick, albeit for shorter than I thought. (laughs) How are you today? Good, how are you doing? I'm doing good. A bit rushed, though, so sorry for that, but let me try to get through as many of these as I can. There was a very meta scene in this film that involved Billy Eichner's character pitching a film studio, and there was something like this in matrix four i don't know if you
5: oh i didn't see that
1: <laughs> so so there's sort of a meta narrative in that too in terms of so i'm just curious is this sort of hollywood creatives way of telling audiences hey we're on your side more than we're on theirs
5: <laughs> no you know for us we thought it would, first of all it was just funny it just made us made both billy and i laugh and then really the reason we did it is it was particularly important to billy that that the movie makes sense to the audience and that, that, that it be very clear what the message of the movie was and that who this person was and what his, what his theory of life was. And so, and so he wrote that just to make it very clear to the audience, like who this guy was, you know? Right. And so that was, honestly, it was, it was to make that clear. And then, and then as we worked on the movie, you know, I shot it, I was like, I'm not sure if this will go and this is so meta, I'm not really a meta, meta director. Uh, and, but the, the intention though wasn't meta, the intention was clarity. Um, and so that was why we shot that.
1: So I would say that the the scenes that, that I found that I was genuinely laughing at the hardest were the scenes where he's at work and there's sort okay. of co- a collision of LGBTQ culture and ideals and ways of life. And I'm curious, what is the key to balancing humor that so that members of that community aren't offended, but while people less educated like myself
5: are able to still laugh at it? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it's starting by, you know, just making sure we're not making, we're not punching down, we're not making fun of anything, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, and that and we also cast people from the LGBTQ community. So we made sure that like, you know, the entire, you know, if there were improvs, they were coming from people from that community, they weren't coming from people trying to guess what it might be. Um, And then, you know, it's something that like, I'm just very careful in all my movies, I think my movies are don't have a mean streak, they're, they're, you know, I'm not a mean person, I don't think I mean I'm sure someone might say I am, but I don't think I am uh, you know, and so we're coming at it from a place Jason through.
1: Siegel's dick maybe
5: yeah, yeah Jason Siegels dick probably doesn't has isn't a huge fan of me uh, <laughs> Jason Siegel's dick talks trash um on Stoller uh but you know and 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 also those debates are real debates that you know that 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 community is having you know obviously we heightened it and made it funny um. Yeah. And also, in addition to that, like Billy's character isn't right. I think that's the other thing. Sometimes, you when you do that kind of scenes or those kinds of scenes, the main character is the right one, and everyone else is an idiot. And like, they all have a good point, and they're all they're all trying to get you know their story out there. Um, you know, and so I think that that's the other thing. He needs to learn a lesson from them, not vice versa.
1: Are there any hilariously titled fake gay Christmas films
5: that got cut? There was one how the Grinch stole Chris <laughs> because we couldn't, we just couldn't clear. We had this like, we had a Grinch artwork with like a guy who's Chris, I guess. <laughs> those, we, those they are wouldn't great. clear it. Dr. Seuss or whoever wouldn't clear it, the estate of Dr. Seuss. But yeah. Um, I also say too that if those scenes in the museum board had not been funny, that no one, we would have just cut them out of the movie. Like no one right. would. Right. I, I just meant
1: cut because like you had three good ones and thought, ah, oh, we oh, yeah. don't need
5: more than that. Yeah. So would be um, what I call broccoli, where you're just like, oh, I don't want to be lectured.
1: <laughs> so a few years ago, I, I had the chance to speak to Jay Johnson. I simply had to ask him about the P Diddy scenes and get him in the Greek. Do you have any memories specifically from shooting the staff scene? Because oh my god, yeah, the comedic talent, real quick: Jonah Hill, Aziz Ansari. Jake Johnson, Nick Kroll, and even Ellie Kemper has a wordless role. So what pops in your head when I bring that scene up?
5: It was, cra- I mean, that those scenes were so fun to shoot. Uh, and it was one of those things where I was like, everyone in here is gonna be mega famous, or I'm or, 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 or about to be. Uh, um, you know, and Jake Johnson, we had a whole subplot, and I don't think I've ever laughed harder that he's the jazz guy. <laughs> And that he's in charge of the jazz department. And that he's like, he's like the only one who's not trying to become president of the record company. Like they're all like, (laughs) and he's just like, every year I just re-released another jazz album. And I just like slipped by in the background. I'm the jazz man. And then we had the the subplot was that later, later like Jonah's like, where's jazz guy? And they're like, oh, he got fired. (laughs) (laughs) but this may be so funny because they're also trying so hard to get in the spotlight and jake johnson's like tone is very like mellow you know and it was like such a funny like opposite
1: when the way that he and this is so i spoke to him for a while and the way that he hits the please don't make me do that it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. so it's just you know you could just tell at that moment that this guy's got it um, oh yeah it
5: was pre new girl too i remember it was joe yep. and was like you got to cast this guy jake johnson he, and he also was, told me the story about how he showed up to a
1: table read and sweats not because he didn't know what a table read was so we just thought like <laughs> oh it's a saturday i'll show up all chill and he was wearing a sweatsuit and he felt like a moron oh uh, yeah
5: i remember that now that's really funny
1: uh so both that film and forgetting sarah marshall came towards the tail end of a truly 10-year run of beloved communist films especially for millennials like me mm-hmm. what is it about that period of time do you think it made it such a hot spring
5: for that genre I mean, I think what happened was, is, I mean, it was like, you know, Judd Apatow, like, is a big mentor figure of mine and friend, and he nurtured all this talent. And then what, and he's, you know, really good at helping people tell their stories and tell honest stories. And as soon as he got some leverage, as soon as, like, 4-Year-Old Virgin worked, he was like, I have, like, a bunch more of these. You know, and so we all were able to tell these stories, and he had people like me that he'd worked with, or Greg Matola, or other people in, you know, that he'd worked with on Undeclared or Freaks and Geeks, or J, you know, um, Jay Kazan you know, all the people like this. Uh, and the studio follows. I mean, they follow the money, and so they're like, well, if this one works, and they don't cost that much, these movies, and so each of these people, very talented people, had. Each had their own story to tell. Jason Siegel had, you know, forgetting Sarah Marshall with me, you know, we told that story. Or like, or Seth and Evan had Superbad or, you know, you could go down the list. And so I think that that was kind of why it turned into that. And then everyone kind of goes, gets their success and kind of goes and does their own thing. And, you know, um, but I think that that was that was part of the reason why.
1: So, Nick, I've got to wrap here. Thank you for your time. I couldn't squeeze it in as a question, so let me squeeze it in as a statement. Forgetting Sarah, Marshall fans are still waiting for some kind of Dracula spinoff. <laughs> Seeing what Seth Rogen and them did with Sausage Party, I feel like this is a no-brainer for
5: you in some kind of... <laughs> okay, sounds good.
1: <laughs> I love that. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Of course. Thank you so much. All right, and thank you to Nick for joining me. Thank you to Kyle, Soller, and Denise Goff for joining me. I hope you guys enjoyed Andor and House of the Dragon, and we'll check in with She-Hulk. I think Daredevil is going to make his debut this week, so that'll be cool. We'll touch on that next week. Hopefully, we'll get Brandon back again. Make sure to follow him at great underscore Catsby. Follow Cade at Cade underscore Ander. Follow me at Eric Italiano. Follow the podcast at Pod. Leave us reviews, Spotify, Apple, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we finally got the return of movies come back soon. Yo, I reached out to Warner Bros. for uh, Black Adam a month ahead of time. They were like, Oh, sorry, it's too late. It's like what? Really? They said dude. six weeks ahead of time. So we got Black Adam coming, The Woman King, I still really want to see. We've got Wakanda Forever coming. What else comes out in October off the top of your heads? Halloween and Halloween. Uh, Halloween. Yeah, it's fucking September. What, what date is it already? The 21st? This month yeah.
2: is blown by. Don't yeah. like it. I don't like it. it. Makes me feel weird. All right, B, continue to crush
1: it at Parrot. We will catch up with y'all next week. Thanks, Thanks guys. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius.